You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, and now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors. I'm Corey Janoff, joined as always by Rochelle Vanderzanden. Hello. And today we have a special guest with us, Yappi Stein. Hello, Yappi. Hey, how's it going? He is uh, one of our uh, the members of our investment team here, and we brought him on um, primarily just to hear his lovely accent. Uh, he has a you'll soon see he has a beautiful South African accent, um, but uh, also to talk to us about a a fast growing trend in investing. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's not a trend; it's probably something that's just going to be. Uh, here to stay for the long run, as we've seen in other countries as well. But that's the arena of socially responsible investing, ESG investing, impact investing. There's a lot of different acronyms and names for it, which we'll dive into here in a little bit. But you know, trying to to do good with your investment dollars uh, in addition to just making a profit. So thank you for joining us, Yappy. Sure thing. Nice to be here. I think first we wanted you to just tell us kind of what socially investing is and what the different aspects of it are? Because I know we were talking about it before, like it means different things to different people. Yeah, I think uh, it's kind of like a gray area under different meanings of SRI versus ESG. But basically, it in a nutshell boils down to doing well with your money. So putting your investments into uh, companies or funds that have positive social impacts or do part on the E, S, and G, which is environmental, social, and governance, just to do better. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of clients that are concerned with these kinds of things want to make sure that they're not having a negative impact with their investment dollars. I feel like that's a big thing. Like, I don't want to be contributing to pollution. I don't want to be contributing to people mistreating workers and things like that, too. So it definitely seems like there's this this need or want to, to filter out some sort of negative impact. Yes, and that's where the, the exclusionary screens part comes in, mm-hmm. where uh, there's different approaches uh, to SRI and ESG. Uh, One of the biggest ones um, is exclusionary screens where you say, in this fund, I do not want any oil companies. I do not want tobacco, pornography, uh, alcohol, guns. So that is kind of the big trend in Europe. Europe, that's the largest um, flow of money goes towards um, exclusionary screens. And that's kind of like where SRI started um, with um, SIN stocks getting uh, cut from portfolios. So that is the, the biggest part in Europe. And in America, ESG, ESG integration is the biggest, where you have th- your uh, standing research process and um, you just incorporate uh, ESG as an additional risk or performance metric. Because um, a company like uh, oil company, the risk of the company going down if we are switching completely to solar and wind, that is a long-term impact on the company. And we, um, as a company, 
have long-term views and want to make sure it's a long-term investment time horizon. So it's not just um, helping the environment, but also in your portfolio, if that company is not going to exist in five or 10 years, that is a big risk. And that is a very important part to look at each company, whether they have any ESG risks involved in it. And then it can also be a performance driver. On the other side, where you would try and cut out oil companies if you were against uh, pollution that uh, fuels um, the, the climate change, you can also invest um, in green companies, uh, whether it's solar or coal, uh, solar or green or wind. So the, it's funny if you, um, the cost was a big thing previously, the cost of coal versus green energy. At the moment, if you get gifted a coal power plant, it will take the same amount of money as it would to build and run a green plant. So it's kind of like times, times are changing. So yeah, it's, it's, you can do good and do well in your portfolio. Mm-hmm. Now you have an advanced designation in this arena, the Chartered SRI Counselor, CSRIC. So what exactly does that entail? So it's actually quite a new designation um, that rolled out last year. I think it's just purely based on demand, just like clients are demanding more um, products or more information on ESG investing. Um, They made it available because it's also important for financial professionals to educate themselves. So I'm glad that there is a designation like that out there. Basically, it runs through the uh, the foundations of SRI, the different approaches you can take, There's ESG metrics that's discussed, um, community investing, shareholder advocacy, and that kind of like active engagement with companies. And then also um, regarding portfolio construction and what are the previous trends and where are we going? Uh, A big focus was the why. Why do we need this kind of investing? Why is this uh, uh, required? So it's um, interesting um, to read the different environmental white papers that's released. Um, there's a nice um, white paper from Jeremy Grantham, uh, A Race of Our Lives, where he breaks down kind of where the human population is going and what is the need um, for us to make changes, as well as climate change, like how much the temperature of the earth will increase and how would that affect the water level. So it was kind of like interesting to get that exposure and all those white papers that's, I think, more applicable. Um, it's good to learn different rules and the, uh, the terminology especially, but um, reading all this, this why behind it, I think is very important. And then it goes towards um, the Forum for Sustainable Investing in the United States, uh, US SURF, brings out a trends report. So the, the most recent one was in 2018, and they'll soon bring out one in 2020. It gets released every two years, and that focuses on the different trends between countries a, a, a across the world and different regions and what is the most popular. Um, it is kind of uh, fund managers and money managers. It is information they make available just based on choice, so nobody's forcing them. So kind of there's a lot of gray areas still in this arena. And what kind of sent, like trends are we seeing? Like, where did this start? Where is it going? Like, who really loves it? Who hates it? Like, that kind of <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so, um, they would say it's like 
all from the back day, uh, religion going back millenniums. Mm. But in Europe, uh, the religious aspect is definitely big with the sin stocks getting filtered out. Uh, Peggy wrote a, a nice blog a couple of weeks ago um, on the origins in, in America where uh, Quakers didn't want to partake into the slave trade. And then it kind of like picked up speed uh, where there's embargoes on specific countries and they don't want to do trade with them based on social reasons. And one is with South Africa with, with apartheid where they kind of uh, just didn't do um, any business with any companies in South Africa that had that connection to it. And that way uh, get to the end result of uh, F.W. de Klerk uh, releasing Mandela and then was able to run as president and had our first democratic election and kind of like real kind of like impact. So um, it, it can have a, a big impact. Uh, and there's different trends in uh, Japan is growing at a ridiculous pace, 400% uh, based on the trends report, I believe in, in 2018, I think that has even increased. Europe's maturing a bit. America's climbing up there. One in, uh, like one in four dollars is invested in some form of ESG um, fund, so a quarter of the invested capital. So um, in Australia and New Zealand, more than half of their funds are invested in ESG um, investments. So it's kind of like interesting to see, obviously Africa is um, slow going, but there are some, some pockets of impact investing um, and different funds as well. So uh, in America, female investors tend to be more, I think it's the maternal instinct, wanna have something for, for my kids. <laughs> uh, um, also, millennials, bigger mm -hmm. um, demand from millennials because we're going to be on the earth quite a bit still. And if you have kids, you want to uh, make sure you leave something. And I think that's where that uh, white paper, Race for Our Lives, comes in. It's not just about us, not just about our kids, but also we get to our grandkids and you're like, what are we leaving? Um, so I think that's very important. Um, I feel like it's one of the bigger challenges arises in the fact that different people have different opinions on what they would deem socially responsible or, or what's important to them. You know, some people it might be the environment, other people it might be, you know, diversity on companies and boards and, and whatnot. You know, some are against the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Other people are for those things. And it's, you know, so it, it's... Is there, is there some uh, consensus somewhere of like what is absolutely acceptable or what is absolutely not? Or is there, it's still kind of a, to each their own? Yeah, so that is a very good point. I think both in the um, clients or, or people that want to invest in that field, but also in the investment arena for financial prof professionals. I think it's based on values. What is important to you? So, um, in the ESG, there are multiple different uh, things. So not everybody will have the same um, thing that's important, whether it's clean technology or climate change or pollution or water use. You can go very granular or you can go uh, broad over it, whether you just want to do environmental um, funds 
uh, or whether you can go down straight just to clean water or um, uh, ag aggregate uh, funds. So it is um, also in the uh, rating companies. So some of the biggest rating companies, the two biggest is MSCI and Sustainalytics. The correlation between those funds, uh, between those agencies, like in 2018 was 0.31, which is quite low, and uh, most recently 0.4. So that means 40% of their results, so what they deem a company, how they rate them, are not in line with the other. So it's kind of like in the investment arena, we cannot, we don't have a defined um, index. We don't have a defined criteria. And I think that's part of the problem because people see that and I'm like, well, I don't agree with that. I don't think that should be part of that. And I think that's the biggest, biggest problem you mentioned because uh, some people don't want to do this, but they want to do that. And I think that's also important because you want, want to stick to your values. If you want your dollars to work for you and what cause is important for you, um, we will need some kind of standardization on what criteria, because at the moment we use all public information, which makes sense. So pub, uh, companies self-disclose all their ESG information. And the question is, do they follow up on these promises they make? So I think that is important um, to know that it's all self-disclosure and these ESG metrics companies take that public information and they turn qualitative data into quantitative data. So it's di different interpretation of this information. So what they deem a good company on ESG might differ. So if somebody invests in it based on one metric company, it might not be the same as the other one. So that's why it's important for yourself to dig deeper or make sure if you're working with a financial advisor to really know what you want to target. So I think definitely some standardization in the in the industry would be great. In that well, answer. and maybe maybe the standardization piece. It's good that there's a lot of differences because then for the different people who have different values, you know, one company might say, "Hey, here's how we're going to operate our funds. Here's our criteria for what we would deem acceptable." Another company says, "This is the way we're going to do it." And then with the growth in the industry, the prevalence of more and more companies having more and more offerings, the consumer can ultimately decide which one aligns best with their values and then put their dollars to work with that particular fund. Yeah, I think having different um, investments in your values makes sense, but I do think in the investment industry, we'll have to get a standardization to make sure you can compare, let's say, uh, apples to apples. So if this company say like, hey, we uh, focus on climate change and uh, we have two companies that say, oh, climate change is very important to us and we have two rating agencies, one gives it uh, a, a, a good mark and the other one not, then are you really investing in something that is good for, the cli uh, for climate change? So that's the thing, but I think definitely you should invest in what's important to you. And I think that is great because demand is expanding and offerings as well. So I think then it's um, just filtering, filtering through the noise on what is important and making sure you get to that point. So I think um, definitely uh, focusing on what is important to you should matter. But um, there's also the term greenwashing where companies want to look good. 
<laughs> but they're not necessarily. So a lot of it, maybe there are uh, uh, principles of responsible investing signatory, a unit UNPRI, but that just brings down what they promise to do. They actually have to follow through on that, whether it is um, a carbon disclosure or um, making it known, like the board diversity, like what is the makeup of their company. So there's some companies that's just better than others making that available. But I think it's important to to look a little bit deeper and yeah, yeah, I'm under the hood. I feel like there's, yeah, having some sort of standardization of what it means to achieve certain goals, I think is very, very important. And then as far as clients or investors being able to seek out the things that are important to them, I think, like we've talked a lot about this reverse screening where maybe we can filter out companies that are bad for climate change and maybe even companies that might seek out like more green energy and things like that. Are there other mutual fund companies or investment managers that are seeking out other things that are important to investors, like other types of values, like maybe gender equity or anything like that? Are there other options for people who are interested in other things? Yeah, it's like so broad. So yeah. <laughs> um, there are so many different funds in, in, in each of the E, S, and G. So we mm -hmm. have the negative screens and then we have the, the positive or best in class where you have a fund company that say, I wanna look at what this company does best and making sure that in what they try to achieve, they do best. So uh, whether it is a, uh, a mutual fund company that uh, has a fund made up of multiple stocks that in incorporate the E, S, and G, and then they focus on this company uh, does really well on board diversity, uh, uh, gender inclusivity. Uh, so, and then there's funds that just have one target like whether it's um, gender equality or climate or uh, the G part, the governance is kind of part of all funds. If you, uh, I think historically, if you don't look at the G or haven't previously looked at the governance, that's just uh, bad due diligence. I think <laughs> uh, the E has become more pre prevalent. I think uh, where it's un an unconvenient truth that kind of like sparked that or people are more familiar with that. And now social, is ticking up a lot because uh, with COVID, we see a lot more um, impacts, whether it is uh, supply chain management or whether it's uh, workforce safety. You wanna make sure your employees are safe. You wanna um, get your groceries, let's say at a base level from a company that you make know um, care for the employees. A lot of companies, there's a, um, is a, uh, a list of which companies um, increased the the salary for the frontline workers. But a lot of them canceled it after three months, like, hey, we put it out in the media and we did it for three months. So nothing has really changed with the pandemic. We're still deep into it, no vaccine. But then going back to, let's say it's the $2 extra on an hour or $1, that makes an impact. So I think, um, it can go as broad as we want to or as specific as we want to in each of those categories. So doing a step back here, we've, we've been throwing out these acronyms, SRI, ESG, impact investing. So I guess maybe just in case people aren't following completely, what are, I guess, what do those all stand for? What do they mean? Is there, or are they just kind of different ways to describe the same thing? 
So SRI traditionally is just socially responsible investing, making sure your funds get invested on a social uh, part where it doesn't harm um, society. And that's kind of like the sin stocks, whether it's uh, firearms or tobacco or pornography. Um, uh, but more recently, SRI, you'll see multiple um, interpretations of but more broad overview is sustainable, responsible, and impact investing that kind of like captures more and kind of like this more umbrella for the investment. And then ESG is more the criteria that uh, it's based on, you know, that stands for environmental, social, and governance um, that kind of can be used in these positive and negative screens, can be a guidance for impact. Let's say if you want to do environmental and water, that is... Um, you use that criteria, or if you want to screen out something, what do you want to screen out? And then we look at the ESG, and we say firearms, okay. And then that can be the screen. But then there's this thematic investing, there's triple bottom line. So there are so many different um, approaches, and some of it um, are more broad, and you get more funds, like just your retail investor can invest, whether it is, in a, in a brokerage account or an IRA or just a, a, in a mutual fund. But then there's also more on the, the private equity side where it's more um, impact-driven. So it depends on where uh, you want your money to flow, but you can even on a base level do, there's also community investing. So where you bank make a difference, whether it's a community bank or one of the larger corporations. So... Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of terms and a, a, a lot of different places to go with your money to make an impact or to uh, do good by, by doing well. Um, but I think that's also the, the, I wouldn't say problem, but maybe a barrier because if it's intimidating uh, or there's no kind of like standard in the financial industry for clients asking that, it's kind of like important to start that dialogue and just talk about it and continuously educate yourself on, on it whether uh, it's this term or that term I think just knowing the basis is important yeah I think one thing that's not quite clear a lot of times is the governance piece because we're used to talking about the environment we're used to talking about social values but governance as it relates to how mutual fund companies assess the companies that they're interested in investing in what does that even mean yeah, I think uh, 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 most recently very important is, is executive compensation, um, mm -hmm. where you have companies that have maybe negative earnings, but then um, they still want to uh, compensate the executives, which from the outside would look like an enormous amount. So more recently, um, boards have, when there's proxy votes, they vote against that. So they started to implement more, you'll see more bigger companies, fund companies, and more active um, with the proxy votes. I think previously it was a, a lot more hands-off, but executive compensation is a big one, proxy voting. Can uh, you what is proxy voting? Yeah. So for people that don't <laughs> understand what that is. <laughs> so, so proxy voting is where you get to do the, to the active part. Um, so every shareholder, like if you own a stock or a mutual fund, you'll get a letter in the mail that you probably throw in the recycling bin or the trash. And but that is you can vote for that company. You yes, have a vote the, as an owner of that company. Yeah, there used to be just a requirement of 
holding um, 2,500, I believe, in the stock, or 2,000 in the stock for a year. You need to hold the stock um, when the uh, meeting is um, held. And then you can um, file a shareholder um, request. But then it cannot be part of normal business. It needs to be more than 5% of uh, the company's business. So it cannot be something uh, small. It needs to have an impact. And then if it gets on the um, voting sheet, you can vote for it. And it needs to get 3% by the first year, 5% by the next. So um, everybody that has a share can vote on that shareholder resolution that was filed by somebody else. So usually the shareholder resolutions gets filed by larger companies. Usually they have uh, people working specifically for that. Um, and then you'll get a letter in the mail if you receive that um, or might be electronic. And then you can vote. Um, if you have your um, shares in a mutual fund, they will handle the proxy voting according to their policy, whether it is outsourced to some of the biggest companies. Um, but uh, that is also an important part in the funds you invest. Do they actually take an active stand so they can, they can vote um, in alliance with their, their policy? But other than voting, they can also talk to management if they have a large uh, investment or whether they can do letter writing or engage them on a, on a level because even if they uh, that proxy gets voted in, it's still not like binding, you have to do this unless. It is just um, made public and so if somebody votes against it and you continue doing, you, you'll start losing shareholders. Um, so I think that, that is important that you have a voice um, if you have those stocks. If you're in the fund company, the fund company can vote as they please, uh, usually to a policy and is in line with their values and hopefully yours as well. And then um, I think the active engagement is important because uh, you can really make a difference. Um, a lot of the, the votes um, gets withdrawn because the companies realize that, hey, I need to make a difference. So. Uh, when you look at the figures, it's sometimes disheartening seeing which votes have won, like majority or how many percent. But a lot of them gets withdrawn if they like um, get a comp uh, write a company and say, "Please disclose your uh, your carbon emissions," and they're like, "Okay, we'll do that," and that's great because you you got what you came for, and that way you can see. So if you see now we've got a disclosure on carbon, where do we go from there? It's too high then what next, next steps you can take. Yeah, it seems like the, the large mutual fund companies are the ones that have a lot of sway with these private companies. And I guess, you know, it probably depends on the size of the company and everything like that too. But like they're the ones that have more power when it comes to voting and influencing management and things like that. So like when you choose your mutual fund company and who you're giving your money to, that's a way that you can also influence that. I guess talk about that a little bit because, you know, a, a common theme for 2020 is go out and vote. Mm -hmm. Everyone vote, not just in your political elections, but uh, I guess also with your investment <laughs> shareholder votes. Um, so some, you know, a lot of especially index companies are um, usually they don't take an active stance, but they might own a pretty large percentage of a publicly traded company if it's a large investment company. So can you talk about like whether that's becoming more common for 
mutual fund companies to actually try and influence boards and the way their individual company stocks that they own are run, or do they still primarily try and take a back seat and just hands off? I think the biggest proponent of this is Larry Fink. He's uh, the CEO of BlackRock, and mm-hmm. they have taken a way bigger approach where um, they want all companies to be on board with uh, the more sustainable investment practices, whether that is um, transfer risk going from um, oil to um, whether it's battery power or solar or wind, uh, they have a list of um, risks associated and they have a watch list they put companies on and if they um, don't get the results they um, seek out from the companies, they let them know and place them on the watch list and they have recently voted against a couple of boards. Can't get the number of the top of my head, but they vote against them. So if you don't um, improve your business practices, it will have a long-standing impact. And BlackRock, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, um, fund companies, um, have an impact. So it's very important to to know that, um, and it, it's great that somebody so high up have that um, look out for the for the future. Because in the in the ro- long run, um, it, it's good to have the big boys playing along, kind of like wanting to make change. And I think that's where it comes in. I think leadership top down, it makes a big influence whether you support it, whether uh, climate change uh, is considered a real thing or not, or uh, let's say withdrawing from the Paris Climate Agreement, kind of like then getting rallied from the private side where people um, just want to make that commitment to the environment. So I think that is very important. So it's great to see um, somebody from such a big fund company wanting to go forward. And I think it's going to be implemented in some form or another going forward uh, with ESG integration, where it's you don't have to change your whole business model. You don't have to suddenly stop and like, I don't want to invest for financial returns. I just want to do good and go hug trees all day. That is not <laughs> what you have to do. If you have an existing research due diligence process, from every single step, you can incorporate ESG as an additional risk and performance measure. And I think that is important. You don't have to change the wheel. You can just you can just build it in there. It's already it's already rolling. We might as well just add this part. And I think at some point it's going to be viewed as irresponsible for not looking out for these risks that gets proposed, whether it is a reputational risk or an environmental risk. Or an economic risk. Economic risk, right. long term. That is where <laughs> it comes down to because uh, on one side, people want to do good and invest in specific mandated ESG funds, but a lot of the funds go into ESG integrated where it's like normal fund companies that don't have an ESG mandate, but they incorporate this because in a systematic way because they know it has an impact on on the long-term value of the company. So uh, I think going forward, it's going to be the standard. And I think um, it's something to to consider. I think that kind of brings us back to this idea that people have and this kind of stigma that exists that socially responsible investing is not 
economically prudent or it's either more expensive or those investments don't perform as well. And so it affects your bottom line. It hurts your bottom line. Do you think there's any evidence that either supports or debunks that? Or do we have a long enough track record even? So there's many, many white papers. MSCI did uh, a white paper, I think about 200 different research um, cases. The jury's still out whether there is uh, there is definitely a correlation, whether it's a cause a causal ef- a cause and effect, uh, but um, they did see in the uh, the studies that it doesn't seem like it's impacting your performance negatively. But they also cannot say that that's the a reason why you, it's performing better. That said, if you look at one of the oldest um, uh, indexes for um, SRI ESG is the MSCI KLD 400, and that dates back to 1990. Uh, S&P 500, which is kind of like the index, um, uh, has performed 10.3% over that time period. Uh, the KLD 400 has performed at 10.7%. So the long term, which we want to have, and somebody investing in this, um, it did outperform um, the S&P 500. But then, obviously, you didn't invest all your dollars on that specific day, and it's mm-hmm. just an index. So it's kind of like still have to have the funds. Um, there has been a lot of more recent studies um, that has been done kind of like with the resistance more recently for Q2 and um, most recent uh, data just for the couple of months. And... But that's where it comes in what you consider ESG. So it was just one rating agency, and they compared the different quartiles. So there, in their metrics, the funds that had higher ratings performed better than the funds that did not. Higher, like so, ESG ratings? Yes. So okay. higher ESG ratings performed better in the downturn, and they had it by quartile. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's... It's important to be aware of the differences. Um, and a lot of people had that notion of like, if you invest in this, you're just, you're just doing good. You're basically putting your money into this course, but it will not help you gather that nest egg for retirement. Mm-hmm. But I think that is not true. Um, there is no, no conclusive evidence saying that, uh, but there is definitely a correlation um, between it. And... What about the cost piece? Is there any truth to the that? Cost piece, um, whether you go indexes, uh, just like uh, with uh, normal funds, as you want to say, um, there are the indexes that's cheaper than the actively managed funds. And at the moment, um, you have some that are more in line with the peer group, but you have some that's more expensive, whether it's the indexes, um, some of the biggest ones that maybe. 0.12% uh, versus 0.03% mm-hmm. versus a, a, another. Um, but I think as demand increase, just like the coal versus clean energy uh, example, when demand increases for it, uh, that allows uh, the cost to be driven down. And I think we will still see that going forward. Um, but there is a difference, and it's important to look at that part uh, because fees have a long-term term effect. So it's important to look at it. Depends. Um, 
funds that are specifically ESG uh, will, uh, based on um, active management, might have a higher cost. But if you have a traditional uh, mutual fund that's integrating that on top of the established research process, just as an extra risk or performance metric, it might not uh, be more at all. It can be more or less or in line with the peer group. So I think it's d- it depends on the specific case. And I think that's where the values piece really comes in. You know, uh, fees have been highlighted over the last, call it, five, ten years as one of the number one things that everyone fixates on and focuses on. Oh, this fund has a higher expense ratio than that fund, so I'm automatically going with the lower expense ratio option because lower expenses equal better in the long run. All else being equal, yes. You know, but if you look back, you know, compared to history, and it, it, right now across the board, funds are less expensive than they were 30 years ago. So, like, if you go back to our parents' generation, you know, the mutual funds they invested in through the brokers that they were investing with, like, they were probably paying two or three times as much as whatever we're buying today, even if we're not buying the cheapest thing out there. So, if if the social piece or, or ESG piece is, is important to you, like, there's cost competitive options. They may not be the cheapest option available on the market period but they're fair you can still ultimately achieve your investment goals with those positions if that's important to you most definitely and you you have uh it's funny having millennials having the biggest demand for this type of investment but millennials are all also the biggest drivers of i want to keep my fees as low as possible index everything so it's kind of like a clash of heads but like um whether you uh pay three or four basis points or a fund, or whether it's twelve, it's it's marginal at that point. So if it's it, if it's important to you, uh, definitely look into it. But it's important not to have a blind eye because it's uh, the funds can have fees that can be higher or lower. But it, due diligence is very important. But I think if the values are important to you, uh, you can definitely make a well diversified portfolio. Um, for your uh, goals and objectives, including your values, long-term time horizon, that is definitely reasonable and it's not going to um, chip away more than a traditional lineup would. So Mm -hmm. definitely the fees, um, if you are completely gung-ho on fees, that is something you should look at, but I wouldn't say that should uh, be a barrier. I think the fees as well as the perceived lack of performance, which um, there's no real evidence pointing towards that over the long term and most recently. So definitely look into it and what's important to you. I think it's important to talk about how people start to implement these strategies, like in their own savings plans. And the biggest place that a lot of people are savings is into their employer plans. If they, you know, if you work, if you're a W-2 employee, you have a 401k or you have a 403b. And lately, it seems like there's been some regulations that I've seen where it may be more difficult for those providers to offer SRI and ESG funds. Can you talk a, a little bit more about that? Yeah, so from the starting point, you'll see quite a bit less SRI options in plans. So it's not it's not a standard thing. It mm-hmm. definitely needs to the intention to include it there. But there's a, a long history going back to the 90s where they didn't want to, um, whether you can include ETIs, which are like economically targeted um, investments, and they're kind of like 
uh, rolled into the ESG. But in 2015, there was a DOL um, a bulletin that said, yes, uh, we can proceed with including it. It's not considered um, out of the realm of looking um, out for that long-term uh, best interest. Uh, but in 2018, there was an interpretive bulletin, and most most recently, a little bit more harsh, less um, interpretive. So <laughs> um, now there would be extra steps, uh, or you'll have to uh, make sure they had um, were taking comment uh, for that bulletin. Usually, it's a lot longer. This time, it's shorter. Uh, where the word is on the street that they're trying to close it out before election in November, which will have a, a lasting effect going forward. But um, it's definitely busy in that realm. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, if you don't have one in your employer-sponsored uh, retirement plan, you can reach out to, to um, your uh, to the sponsor and, and say that it's something you're interested in. You can mm-hmm. write it like, this is something I'm interested in not just from a values point, but I want to um, implement this based on performance and risk and everything, and then they'll evaluate it. But it's, I think, more a barrier because it's going to not necessarily extra work, but you'll have to justify everything, and being under a microscope is never fun in, that, in the 401k or retirement plan arena. Right. Yeah, so employers just have a lot more due diligence that they have to do to prove that they're acting in their employees' best interest by offering these funds, if they do, basically? Yeah, it's it's just, yeah. uh, you have to, uh, the problem comes in if it's just, like, in one asset class, if they mm-hmm. have no alternative, but they have to be knowledgeable on the, the fact that this is an ESG fund, mm-hmm. but they want to make sure um all the participants are protected in their view. But in the long term, um, there's kind of like the two views. There was quite a bit of comments um, that was written in based on the new um, Department of Labor um, bulletin. So we'll see if that gets pulled through before um, the election and how that rolls out. But I think um, it might not stop employers or... Uh, financial advisors, but it's just, it is an an extra thing to be aware of, and if it's extra work, they might just be, hey, it's easier to just provide the funds we have been providing. Uh, We don't want to get in, getting in trouble, and I think that's a big part of it. And a lot of, due to regulatory requirements and ever-increasing ones, like, we've seen companies' fund lineups that they offer in their 401ks just shrink over the years. You often see smaller and smaller options available, but then more and more companies are offering these things called brokerage windows, where within your plan, you can open up a figurative window and have access to, you know, everything on the retail platform that that company offers. So for example, you know, I'll use Fidelity. They're one of the largest 401k providers in America. They have a brokerage window available in a lot of their plans where you can invest in anything available on Fidelity's retail platform, which is thousands of offerings. So you're moving outside of the pre-screened funds that the company has said these are acceptable based on all the criteria we're required to screen for, and we've done due diligence for you. 
you go through this window, you have more options, you can customize your own portfolio, but the due diligence is on you. You know, the company is not responsible for your missteps if you, you know, shoot yourself in the foot. They can with decrease their liability that yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, smaller core lineups, but you have, a, you know, a lot of plans offer this alternative option if you want to go beyond and really customize your own investment portfolio. Yeah, most definitely. I think that's a that's a, a great way for um, if you participate into an employer-sponsored plan, especially even outside of ESG, if you just have a small lineup because – a diversified lineup is is uh, uh, one uh, stock mutual fund, and then you have to have uh, bonds, and then money market or stable value. Um, so I've seen lineups where it's just indexes and nothing mm-hmm. else. Uh, so it's important to know that that is available, and then you can uh, work with your advisor, and they can also assist with that part and see what is available, uh, because then you can go into uh, putting the money where it's important for your values. And I think that is important because the bulk of most people's savings is in these employee-sponsored uh, retirement plans. So um, that is definitely an important part. And then outside of that, we have IRAs, we have brokerage accounts, we have all sorts of things where you have a lot more flexibility and a lot more choices. So. And you know, like you were talking earlier, demand. You know, if there's a demand for something, it'll be available somewhere. Wall Street's really good about meeting demands of uh, of consumers. So if there's if there's a demand for a product, they'll they'll create it. Um, so yeah, you know, I could see a lot of people that if this is important to them and it's not available in their 401k, they'll just stop contributing to their 401k. They'll say, "Heck with tax benefits. I just want you know this is more important to me." And they'll put their dollars in their brokerage account and invest it the way they want to, which kind of gets on to another question, you know, along the lines of how people get started, Rochelle, you were Mm -hmm. asking about earlier, you know, you can just invest in a mutual fund that says we're an ESG mutual fund and here's what we screen for, Um, you know, but depending on how much money you have, other options might be available to you or you can really even drill down to the individual companies beyond just the index or the fund. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so we have the ETFs and mutual funds that's available to um, everyone. To everyone, <laughs> yeah. So, but then uh, we have the separate managed accounts or SMAs, and that's where you can really tailor what you're really looking in for. So, whether you have a, a menu of options and say you want this in this and you want this in this, but you don't want this in that. So, they actively manage it. Uh, you need to have a required. Uh, amount to invest in that fund. So I think that's where the, the, the minimum comes in. And they will actively manage it based on those values. Uh, so a third-party manager can get that. And then you know uh, if, let's say, this ETF uh, tracks this index and this stock makes it way into the index, you are not suddenly investing in something that you want to or you know that it's specifically tailored to your and values yeah i think the biggest thing is just if you're working with an advisor talk to your advisor on here's what's in no and like you said earlier know what's important to you what are your values what do you want and then you can work together to figure out the best way to accomplish that and get that into your investment strategy and i think it's interesting with advisors i think there's a a lack of realization 
of the quantity of, of clients and people that are interested in this kind of investing. So if they're not bringing it up with you, it doesn't mean that they can't access that. It just means that they didn't realize you were interested in that. Um, so, I mean, definitely a conversation that's worth having. Yeah, that was definitely a, a one of the, actually a larger top part of the uh, specific module in this designation I just studied. Uh, goes over personality types and how people are scared to talk about that and how if you are empathetic and you can listen and you can ask the right questions, you can more than just getting their financial goals but also get their values. And that way, mm -hmm. start a conversation and they might start sharing more and more with you and that way you can get to know your client a bit more on a deeper level. Absolutely. I think uh, another thing to note, like it's it's one step to invest in socially responsible investments to you know make yourself feel like you're doing good in the world, but like if if I buy a stock or a mutual fund that invests in a bunch of stocks, you know I'm buying that on a secondary exchange, so I'm potentially just buying that stock from Yapi. Yapi's selling it, I'm buying it. We're trading money. I'm not giving money to that company. I'm not directly supporting that company. So I think the the bigger way you know people can make an impact is if you know know what your values are and then actually implement those in your life. Like if you want to support clean energy, well, where are you getting your energy from for your house? Are you mm -hmm. getting it from renewable sources, wind and solar or or you know so look into that most If you don't like the way Amazon treats their employees, don't order from Amazon. <laughs> yeah, you know if you want to get your groceries from a grocery store that pays their employees well and has a diverse, you know, board or, you know, executive committee, you know, do your research and make sure you know about the companies where you're actually giving your hard-earned dollars to. And this isn't, you know, a, an episode meant to tell you this is what you should do or shouldn't do. Like we're doing this we're recording this one because there's a demand for it <laughs> a lot of clients have asked us about this stuff like it's all over the the news and in the, you know the reports we see so like there is a demand out there for this type of investments like yappy said millennials especially are the ones asking for their companies not only to to make money for them but also to you know do good in the world um you know we're not here to tell you how to live your life if you believe in this stuff and you want to invest in a certain way great if you don't great doesn't matter to us just whatever is important to you know your values and let's you know let's try and uh, um, accomplish the goal together but it, it you know getting back to the initial point if it is important to you you know the funds you invest in in your 401k only go so far mm -hmm. so yeah if you, anyone has any questions about how to get started or just how to look at their 401k and see what's going on in there, anything like that, you guys are always welcome to reach out to us. You know, we have, you have your our email addresses and all of our social media action going on. So yeah, any way you want to reach out to us. Yep. Podcast at thefinitygroup.com. Find yep. us on social. Follow us. Follow Finity, you know, on all the various social platforms. There's a lot of good <laughs> stuff they push out. Any last words, Yappy? I think it's uh, important to educate yourself on what matters to you and then in your day-to-day -day life, start making changes, not just with your investments, but whether it's avoiding uh, plastic, your single use, you uh, taking like mm -hmm. a, a container everywhere or shopping where it's important to you. So kind of like taking a deeper dive in what is important to you in all parts of your life. And then if you want to circle around to investments and 
part of your financial plan to circle around to together. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Have a good day, everyone. Until next time. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast, on our Finity Group YouTube channel, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.